0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You are inside the Braves booth and it is great to have you with us as we come to you from T-Mobile Park here in Seattle alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. And this is episode 34 of From the Braves Booth. Our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com. And anytime you have a question or comment, you can fire away. And maybe it'll make its way onto our show. But um, we're coming to you from Seattle, getting ready for game two of this series. Joe, last night was a lot of fun. Honestly, ever since uh, June 1, it's been a lot of fun. This team continues to impress and continues to stay uh, red hot and jumped into first place last night.
2: Yeah, It's been uh, a hard fought battle to get here i mean steady steady progress there wasn't you know there was the long winning streak what was it 14 games right that uh, certainly helped propel this team to where they are now and now they're on another good streak having won eight in a row those things help but it doesn't help if you win 14 in a row and lose you know eight out of nine they've been able to avoid that they've avoided long losing streaks And here they are in first place, and hopefully they'll stay
1: there. It's been really fun. I mean, this team will win four, lose one, win six, lose two, win eight, Mm -hmm. lose one, win four. I mean, just ripping off big chunks of of victories. They've won eight straight right now. They're going for their ninth straight win. So I'm pretty sure this is their third streak of seven wins in a row or more, with the longest course being the 14-game winning streak. But you're not seeing this team – pile up bunch of, a bunch of losses consecutively. I know they had that tough stretch there in New York when we yeah. were there in August. That's yeah. really been it since June 1.
2: Yeah, well, that's a tribute to your starting pitching. When you've got that kind of consistency in your starters uh, who can help you stop losing streaks, you know, the, the proverbial stopper. Well, the Braves have several stoppers on their staff, uh, and they'll pull up a good start to avoid any uh, four, five, or six-game losing streaks. And it's been...
1: One guy after the next, and I mean Spencer Strider goes out there, he strikes out 16. Charlie Morton goes out there, he goes into the seventh inning. Max Freed does Max Freed things. Kyle Wright leads the league and wins. Mm-hmm. I mean it's one guy after the next, and when you're doing that. And we've said this a million times. That's the foundation. Your bullpen's better because your starters are going deeper. You win more ball games. Your offense doesn't have to score as many runs because your pitching is so good. It really is the key that that really triggers everything that, I, that you need to win.
2: I think it is, and that's what we've been saying, you know, for a generation. It, it starts with pitching and good defense, and the Braves have both again. And um, uh, some surprises like Spencer Strider a shock that Kyle Wright is doing what he's doing. Not that he wasn't capable, it's just that he hadn't shown any signs of this. And all of a sudden, he is, uh, arguably, he and Max Fried co-aces. So um, all of that's great. Uh, I'm still, I don't want to say skeptical, but I still have an eyebrow up over the bullpen and uh, how they're going to settle in here the last two, three weeks of the season. The big bonus right now is that Kenley has pitched really well twice in a row. And if they had some mechanical issues to iron out, it looks like they have. So good for him. He had
1: a couple of outings where you started to think, well, maybe it's time to send Rossell Iglesias out there for the ninth. He's been your best reliever. Yeah. Oh, he was awesome last night. He too. sure was. And you get to a point where you say, well, if if Kenley continues this, you got to do something else. And I'm sure Kenley knew that. And his last couple of outings have been really good. Some one, two, three outings. It's been really good to see. And um, so long as this pitching is doing what they're doing, you feel really good about where the Braves are. They're in first place now. And they're in first place now, Joe, with not too much left to go. I mean, there are 24 games left, counting tonight. Yeah, We'll wrap up this road trip on Wednesday of this coming week as we're recording this on a Saturday. We, we play tonight in Seattle, uh, tomorrow here in Seattle, three games in San Francisco. Then it's home for a week, gone for a week, home for three, gone for three, and that's it. That's it. And, and to have a half-game lead... Um, I know the Mets are doing their best not to panic. They shouldn't be. They're a half game out of first place, but they've not been playing good baseball. And I'll go back to something that Frenchy said when we were on the plane out here. He said, "Everybody, I don't care how good you are, goes through a tough stretch where you're going to play. Uh, you're, you're not your best. Ba- not, not your best baseball. You're going to have some injuries, things like that." The Braves have had theirs. We, we, we saw that for two months in the first portion of the season. Sure, that hadn't happened to the Mets all year. No. And I feel like they're going through that right now, which is, man, what an inopportune time for them and perfect for the Braves.
2: Yeah, it's not that the Mets are lucky. They aren't lucky. They're very talented. They, they have great depth and great athletes, uh, an excellent manager, all those things that add up. But there has been a, a, a spell for the Mets where it seems like everything went their way. And we saw it in that five-game series in New York yeah. where we've never seen so many soft contact base hits uh, that just – Constantly had base guys on base and did the Braves in, losing four out of five there. Those that that worm has kind of turned a little bit, and unfortunately for the Mets, their injuries have have been significant. Whether it's Scherzer, even for uh, the 15 day IL, Starling Marte, injuring a hand now. He's not on the IL, but he's missed some games, and who knows if he's going to be uh, able to play in the next couple of days and get back in the lineup with a sore hand and what effectiveness he will have. But they've had some things that have deemed them that they had avoided some of the year, and they're going to have to rely heavily on the depth that they're starting pitching the rest of the way, uh, DeGrom, Bassett, Taiwan Walker, etc. cetera, yeah. uh, if they're going to stay stick around. Jason, you
1: you motioned at Marte. They, they put him on IL today?
3: He went on the IL today. Okay. Backdated, I think, to Wednesday, and they called up a – prospect. Well, they
1: got, like you mentioned, I mean, him and and Scherzer.
2: Well, Amarte is such an important part of their offense. Batting second behind Nemo. uh, He's just a great complement. He steals bases. That's a big blow to their everyday lineup. So I don't want to say that it's the
1: Braves to lose, but I'd say that the Braves are still the team to beat. I think we've known that all along.
2: I'd say the the Mets, even as recently as two weeks ago, would have said that. Here's the way I feel about uh, the fact that Braves caught them, and that is that the Braves were um, chasing. You know, you'd much rather be the chaser. Yeah. And uh, the Braves are playing great baseball, and they've caught them. Well, that's not good enough for this ball club. We know that. They've won four straight division titles. They know what it's like to have the lead. Right. You know, once they get in the lead, watch out. The Mets haven't. This group of Mets have not been there. Uh, Buck Walter's a good manager. He's been to the postseason. He knows what it takes. But for this team, for those players, it's kind of a it's a tough spot when you've had the lead all summer, you've had things going your way all summer, and now all of a sudden that pressure is on you. That onus, especially in New York with the press there, yeah. is on you to get back on top, and that makes it very that much more difficult. And furthermore, it's an organization. And I know it's
1: different because some of the players weren't here for their recent failures, but it's been a team like last year. They're in place for over 100 days. They didn't make the postseason. Yeah. They've had lots of seasons where the Mets are riding high and things go sour, and it ultimately ends up in disappointment. And, and their fan base, I'm sure, is thinking, here we go again. Yeah. And the Braves just continue to do what they do, and that's win baseball games. So my biggest question is, even though it's just a half-game lead and, and there's three weeks left in the season, three right. and a half, right. how do they respond to all of a sudden they're not in first place anymore, things aren't going their way? And, and sometimes uh, teams don't respond to that, and, and they end up just falling
2: off. Well, we're about to find out. Yeah. You know, they went down to Miami and lost last night. Today, they face Pablo Lopez. We know how good Pablo can be on any given night. And tomorrow, they face Luzardo. We know how good Luzardo can be for six innings on any given night. This is uh, what was supposed to be kind of a soft part of the Mets schedule, is anything but when you are now behind. Yeah. It's easy when you're leading, or it looks easy when you're leading, it doesn't look so easy when you've got to win. That's right. Well, this is going to be
1: really, really interesting. And, of course, there are three games between the two uh, two teams. There are In Atlanta, um, uh, not this upcoming homestand, but the three-game homestand after that, that's a series yeah. against the Mets. So you still have to face them for three, and I can't wait for that. That'll be great. But uh, And that last game has now been moved to a Sunday night yes. ESPN game. Yeah. So this is awesome. I mean, this is why you do it. And for the Braves, I think they'd say, all right, it's great that we're in first place. Uh, it's been a, a major accomplishment to play the way that they have and, and jump into first place. But uh, I think they'd say, all right, cool. Well, but we got to get back to doing what we're doing. This, what we're doing is uh, we have much higher goals than just winning the division. That's the first goal. You need to win the division because, man, you do that then you're – Really set up well for the postseason, but um, just because you jumped into first place doesn't mean the finish line has been crossed. They've no. you've still got a ways to go for that.
2: No, and that's why I have utter confidence in this team. They they are front runners. Yeah, they they like being in the lead. They don't shy away from it. You do like to be the uh, you like being the chaser. Well, they've chased them down. Now the onus is on the Mets to see if they can do that. So I like Atlanta's chances. I like the way they're playing right now. You know, anytime you ask Brian Snitker about his team, he says, uh, you know, like last night's game, you know, all these guys hitting home runs. Well, that's what we do. Yeah. We hit homers. Mm -hmm. So we'll see if they are able to continue to do that. Saw something last night.
1: And, um, you know, thinking about last night, last night was awesome. Great atmosphere here in this ballpark. It's a great ballpark, isn't it?
2: It is. It's wonderful. It was uh, something desperately needed by this city to keep the Mariners here. The Mariners were about to leave on a couple of different occasions because – a, the Kingdom, B, not B, there wasn't any good teams. Along comes Ken Griffey, Jr., and one guy changed everything, and ownership changed, and um, then all of a sudden they've got a new stadium and things are, are looking up, but this is a beautiful ballpark. It'll be sold out tonight and supposed to be sold out tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's funny to
1: think about that because we play the Giants next there. And a lot of what you just said about Griffey and the Mariners, you'd say about Bonds and the Giants sure. and that new ballpark. Absolutely. Sometimes one star player can make a an entire difference for a franchise, and that's certainly been the case here. And Yeah. Uh, love coming up here. Uh, the weather has been incredible here, and um, this is a good baseball team the Braves are facing in this series, and it was a really good game last night and a good team that the Braves beat last night. So excited to see what happens tonight and tomorrow to wrap things up in this series and then head to San Francisco.
2: Yeah, we're going to see a guy tonight, for the Mariners that we don't know much about at all. George Kirby, 24-year-old rookie, uh, strikes out quite a few guys, but he doesn't walk anybody. He's got 14 walks on the year in 163 innings. Are you kidding me? Mm. Doesn't give up any homers. He throws 95 to 98, somewhere in that range. So he'll be a tough customer for the Braves tonight, and likewise Max Freed will be the same for the M's. I think Freed has given up two homers in his last
1: – like 355 batters faced, and this guy Kirby has not given up a home run to his last 200-something 200, 200 batters faced. I mean, neither one of these guys gives up home runs. And last night, the home run ball is the name of the game, so yeah. that'll be fun.
2: Well, it's flying out of here, so a test for both of those pitchers. All right, anything else you want to jump on before we jab, uh, jump into these questions? Um, I just wanted to talk about a little bit about um, the everyday guys. Uh, this is a team, the, the Braves – who are amazing in how many of them are, are going to be within five or six games of playing every game this season. Mm-hmm. And you can start at first, you can go to shortstop and third base, those three guys in particular, and Michael Harris the second since he got here. I think he may have missed one game, I'm not sure, and, and, and I say missed a start right. in one game. Those guys play every inning of every game. Uh, Travis Darno would... If they'd let him, he'd go out there every inning of every day. He and Contreras have really ham and egg behind the plate. But I I just want to commend those guys who uh, go out there every day. They suit up. They go out. They play hard. They're successful. There's no let up in them. You don't see any fatigue. uh, Do you? No. From any of those Mm -hmm. guys? I don't anyway. And uh, I just applaud them for going out there every day. It's not too many teams that – have that many guys on your club who can do that.
1: And I feel like over the course of a season, I don't care how good you are, you're going to go through a stretch where you may watch that player and say, that guy could use a day off. Yeah. And you might would say that a couple of times out the season about one of those guys, and the next thing you know, they just hit their way right back out of that little slump. Oh, you
2: say that about Freddie. You know, yeah. Freddie Freeman would never take a day off, and yet there would be stretches where he'd go into those strikeout binges where you're going, all right, it's time, you know, watch a day, right. get out of there for a day. Well, you know, Matt Olson's been through that, what was it, 0 for 20, 0 for 21? 22 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had his own share of that, but he's still out there, and he's playing good defense, and then all of a sudden he goes to Oakland, it's a three-run homer. So you hope that though that was like his turnaround right there. Yeah. You never know when those guys are going to break out. They're that good. Those guys are gamers, and it, it really is impressive
1: to see that. And I, I don't... I don't ever want to take that for granted. Uh, I feel like we're just so used to writing their names in the lineup. We don't give it a second thought. So it is good to give it a second thought because it is so
2: impressive. It it is. And I'm happy to see uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. is back in the lineup again tonight. He is DHing again tonight. So, you know, we never know all the details about what's going on with the team injury-wise. We only know what uh, Brian Snitker tells us, basically, and what the PR department lets us know. And from a Ron Lacuna standpoint, I think they've done a good job of kind of massaging his workload so that he can be out there every day, even as the DH and maybe later on he will be back out in right field. Let's hope so. Yeah, I hope
4: so.
1: Okay, well, I have a, uh, a gigantic stack of emails and questions and comments, and thank you to everyone who has uh, routinely emailed our show. We really appreciate it, and we'll try to get to as many of these as we can. I, mean, I literally have, I don't know, 50 plus questions in front of me, so we'll try to get them all in. But we have multiple questions about our, our latest craze, and that is the, the Rally Cola, the RC Cola. People have. Um, have caught on to this over the last few days. Of first couple of questions I'm looking at, from one from Kim. Has Joe had an RC Cola today? If not, why? One from Bob. I'm loving the RC Cola. How did this start? You guys are too funny. On and on and on. Somebody tweeted me today. What's the Braves' record since the RC Cola made its appearance? I believe it's 3-0. Yeah. He won the two games in Oakland the one yeah. year last night. Here's the thing. When you're winning baseball games, this is the best way I can describe this. Things just happen organically sometimes. You don't force anything. You, you don't say, "Hey, we need a, a rallying cry. Let's invent something." That's stupid. Uh, That's cheesy. Last year with the Oreos, it, it just happened, and you, you you love having some Oreos in the booth. We'll pass them around. Next thing we know, we, we got rally Oreos. We'll yeah. hit the Oreo jar anytime we need a rally. Well, the other night we we're in Oakland, and you needed something more than just a water to drink.
2: I did. I needed uh, I needed a little sugar, actually. You know, it was um – First game of the road trip, so it was like body time. It was later than usual. Yeah. When we when we got going, so I need a little pick me up or something, a little infusion of sugar there. <laughs> and I and I asked Jonathan uh, to go get me a coke if he could find one out in the press lobby area, and he came back with an RC, an RC. Which I do a double take, and I'm thinking. <laughs> Of course, you
1: come back with the most random cola brand that's uh-huh. out there because we're in the most random ballpark in Oakland. Yeah, right. It is such a weird place, folks. I've uh-huh. never been there. It's just a strange place. So it was it was kind of all a perfect storm at all aligned. that all made sense that here we are in this booth where I couldn't even see first base because of the window partition to my right, <laughs> and there you are drinking an RC Cola. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what a weird place this is. I think, think the only way it could have been weird
2: if you'd had like a, a Surge Cola or a, right. a Tab or, or something like that. Or a Great Bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, my uh, my grandparents uh, in rural Oklahoma had a gas station grocery store place uh, at a kind of a Crossroads-type setup, and they had all the drinks. They had a what we called a Pop Box, soda pop box that had every brand you can think of including rc and i as a kid would be allowed maybe one a day you know to get whatever i wanted out of there and i love getting bottles of rc and putting peanuts in them Uh uh-huh you ever heard of that i have yeah so that was my big call throwback on rc so that's funny and now that's our rally rally cola. yeah well what happened was is we
1: we had a big inning yeah and we're like, well, you got to keep that RC out here. We just had this big inning, and the Braves won the game. And so we, the next night, J. Chad grabs three more. We had four RC colas lined up on the countertop between us, and we win that game too. Like, well, we can't let this this stop. You got to keep rolling with it. Mm-hmm. So we had it on the countertop last night. So now you're not necessarily drinking it. You might if you want. But it's almost like, uh, you know how when, when college football teams take the field, they have like Clemson rubs on the rock. Yeah. Or Notre Dame hits that play like a champion today. Yeah. That's right. kind of like our, our good luck charm. We got it
2: right here. You kind of rub the RC can if it you need is. a rally. It's like a little mini mascot. Yeah. That uh, I, more accurately, uh, good luck charm. That's a good way to put it. And I think uh, so far, so good on that. And if anybody Knows anybody at the RC bottling plant down in Columbus, Georgia? Give them a call. <laughs> give them a call tell them what we're doing. So, yeah, that's how it happened. It, it's as simple as that,
1: and that's how funny things just kind of bubble up when you're playing winning baseball.
2: And it's not good. When, like you said, it's just not good when you try to make something happen or yeah. create something. I, I Got to be organic. I, the Mariners are my old team. I played for them. But last night when Santana hit that monstrous home run, he came back and they put some kind of – Two-tone Darth Vader helmet on him. Uh, really? Yeah. You know. I agree. It's got to be something. How about that's a pat, pat on the back? How about a high five? Yeah. What do you <laughs> got, JC? No, I was just
3: gonna say, as if I didn't have enough stuff to lug across the country in these trunks. Now I find myself. Uh, on the plane with R.C. Cola in my carry-on <laughs> to make sure it safely gets to the next destination. <laughs> what we need is to get him a pair of, of white
1: gloves,
2: and he can put it in a oh. case like the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> presented, and put uh, it out there on the countertop. I love that. Yeah. All right. Um What's What's been – this is from Brian. What's been the most unique thing about every stadium you've visited on this trip? Surely you can find something good to say about Oakland. All right, I'll give you something unique on Oakland. Can
1: we? I The, the thing that makes me laugh every time we go to Oakland is at the entrance, and that, that ballpark opened in, what do we say, sixty. 66 or mm-hmm. 68. There's a sign right above the entrance that's probably been there since day one that says, no liquor allowed in stadium. <laughs> did, you, did you see that? No. We walked right under it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, they, they got full bars all over the place. Right. It's not just beer that they sell, but it, it's still there. And That, that sign has got to be 60 years old. You walk
2: right under it it says, no liquor allowed in stadium. I'll tell you, uh, here's my vote, and I think I'll get a, a unanimous backup here. Great music. Yes. They had an excellent sound, great, great sound system. system and excellent mu- music uh, that was kind of a broad spectrum. It wasn't just one style every night. It, they got it all mixed up. I mean, we one night we're listening to Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. We're listening to Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And then we're listening to some modern stuff. So uh-huh. uh, I loved it.
3: Yeah, and it's something when people change up their playlist. Uh, two things that were <laughs> unique for me um, that I liked. Something I can say about the playing surface, it looks awesome from Mm -hmm. from where we are. I don't know what it's like for the players, but the playing surface looks very, very nice there. And then the other thing that struck me that I loved watching the two days that we were there for games, the head groundskeeper brings his dog to work every single day. And the dog follows his every footstep before the game on the field. You know, if he's walking in the outfield, the dog's right there with him. And then at some point, um, we saw both Tuesday and Wednesday before BP, he went to drag the infield. The dog jumped up on the seat and has his own seat on the gator machine that he drives around the infield, and the dog was up there riding with him. He's walking around seeing the players during BP. It was hilarious.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he laid down. uh, I remember when Matt Olson went over to say hello to the groundskeeper, the dog went over, tail wagging, and laid down right in front of matt for him to rub his belly of course <laughs> so they were friends from way back yeah that was cool so there's some good things mm-hmm. uh what about for this ballpark this Boy, long list. Yeah, it would be a long list but uh j chad you want to start i know? think
3: this is a beautiful ballpark uh, i wish we came here more often it's a long way from home but it's beautiful as far as the broadcast booth goes this is my first time working here And I said to you guys yesterday before the game that this may be my favorite visiting radio booth in baseball from an all-around standpoint. The vantage point, it's hard to get better than what we are in right now. Uh, It's very clean here. Uh, This is a great yard, and I'm glad that we're going to a balanced schedule, so we'll get back out here uh, more than once every Seven years. They
1: put some thought and detail into the design of this press box because you come out of our booth and go down the hallway, and they have multiple word-for-word calls that Dave Niehaus made or Rick Riz made and Mm -hmm. some of the biggest moments in their franchise's history. They have painted on the wall the actual calls and pictures of all their broadcasters, so some thought and some detail into the history of what they've had here, and they appreciate that, and I think it's wonderful. It's a good little walk-through history uh, when it comes to this franchise. Just
3: to touch on that really quick, I think they have done as good a job of anywhere I've been of celebrating their broadcast history with the things they have behind the broadcast booths. As you've pointed out, it's a picture of Joe. There's a picture of Chip, uh, all the guys that have worked here. Uh, and then, you know, they have some, uh, I guess I'll call it artifacts from Dave Niehaus uh, down the hallway that are behind glass. They it's, it's awesome to see how they celebrate their broadcasters here. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that very much. Of course. Um, There's actually a a very unique statue of Dave Niehaus here uh, who is in the Hall of Fame, won the Ford Frick Award uh, many years ago, and he is celebrated out on a concourse out in right field. Now that doesn't have anything to do with the press box except that this statue, if you will, is Dave sitting at a desk, a broadcast desk, with his scorebook open, with his headphones on and sitting at a microphone. Now, what was really cool about what they did was they made a seat next to him. It's not just Dave sitting there. There's a second empty seat, so anyone that wants to come and have their picture taken with Dave Niehaus' statue can sit next to him uh, as he's supposedly calling the game. I thought uh, so that was creative, really cool. Uh huh. I love that. That is great. Uh, so yeah, so
1: lots of good details, lots of good thought was put into this ballpark, and they celebrate their history here very well and. It's fun to come and and work here for a series, especially with the crowd that we had last night, the crowds we're expecting tonight and tomorrow as well. Do these long West Coast road trips become taxing? Does it feel like you've been gone for a month? That's from Dan. I think any time you have a three-city trip, it feels like you've been gone for a while. I feel like we've been gone for a very long time. I, I feel like when it comes to the taxing nature of it all, you get used to it no matter where you are. I don't know about you guys. I feel like I get used to this pretty easy, even though it's West Coast. We're three hours back. I adapt pretty easily, but um, you just have your own routine, and no matter what time zone you're in, so long as you're following that, you feel like you're ready for that night's ball game.
2: Yeah, and I think this question, there's another one in here that I'll find later I'm sure we'll run across that's kind of uh, similar to this in that uh, from a schedule standpoint, this could easily have been, in my view, of course, I'm not the schedule maker, stay in San Francisco for a week. Play the Giants in Oakland, then come to Seattle and go home. Uh Uh, Instead of San Francisco staying in San Francisco, playing Oakland, coming here and going back to San Francisco to play the Giants. That's that's a little silly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Let's
1: see. Ben, Joe, and Jonathan, number one, who is your NL Rookie of the Year, Strider or Harris? And number two, if you could only choose one, who would you rather lock up long-term, Freed or Swanson? That's a tough one. Thanks for all you guys do. That's from Barron in
2: Hartsell, Alabama. Those are two really good questions. Very good. Uh, I'm going to pick Harris uh, I because he's out there every day. Yeah. Uh, that's no knock on Spencer and what he's done. I, um, I wish there was some award. Maybe there is. I'm unfamiliar with it. Maybe there's a rookie pitcher of the year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd go with Harris if I had to pick one.
3: Same for me, and it's for the same exact reason Joe said he plays that. He's out there every day.
1: Yeah, it's hard to vote against the everyday player, the center fielder. Yes. Um, but I expect them both to be one and two in rookie of the year voting. Yeah. And as far as the long-term contract, that's uh, a tough one. I'll probably stick with the shortstop, and I love Max. I'm. I feel confident that they'll both be here for a while. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, but if you're talking about one of the top three or four shortstops in the game, I want to be elite up the middle, and Dansby, in my opinion, helps me do that.
2: Well, think about that. That's. Um, uh, you, everybody talks about it. The old school baseball people. You got to be strong up the middle. Well, with Darno, Contreras, Swanson, Albies, Andor, Grissom, yeah. and Harris. Man, that that's tough to beat right there. there. And uh, I kind of stepped on you, Jonathan. It was your turn to answer that. But I'm going to go with Swanson too, only because I'm going to follow kind of the pattern of Alex Anthopoulos that he has not given long-term deals to pitchers.
3: I'm going to answer a little bit differently and say uh, I'll go with C, both.
2: Yeah, Mm. you need them both. Yeah, you do. I'd love to have them both. Mm -hmm. Uh, This just happened last night so somebody was really quick on this joel was quick on this this question is for the goof in the booth that i referred to last night who sat up behind us here you have jonathan you have to put up with so much crap from the guys that you work with what's the best part of your job coming to the ballpark every day and working with these
3: guys that give me so much crap um no, nah, and I love the Atlanta Braves as, as much as anyone, and I love coming to the ballpark every day. Uh, don't know what the future
2: holds, but I hope I'm lucky enough to do this for a long time. I believe you will. Football yeah. season for Matt. I like this one. Pick somebody. Now that football season has started, which Brave could you see being able to play professional football? I got two right off the bat.
3: Okay, fire away. Michael Harris, uh uh-huh. Austin Riley, yeah, it's a couple that stick out. Yeah, I, I could
1: go with that. I mean, Austin was a, uh, Austin was actually a quarterback at DeSoto, uh, Desoto Central High School when he was eighth grade, and ninth grade, and then decided I want to focus on baseball, but he didn't want to stop playing football, so he just moved to kicker and punter and was all state as a kicker and a punter. But you know, he's got a good arm, so I, I bet he'd have been a really tough quarterback.
2: See, when I think of Austin, I know he's, he would have been my pick, too. Uh, I think of him more in the linebacker range or, uh-huh. uh, defensive end type guy. Uh, now, if we did a poll of the players, Jackson Stevens would tell us right away He would he's the guy. Right, he would.
3: He's actually another guy for me. He and uh, maybe even Matsick.
2: Yeah, Matsick
1: too. Yeah, Matzik's got the mentality for it. A.J. played linebacker in high school. Mm-hmm. You, you have some guys that could, if you put them out there on the gridiron, they'd hold their own. Joe,
3: Joe's right, though. We got to spend some time with Jackson the other day, and uh, he'd definitely tell you I think he could.
1: <laughs> he would. Uh, let's see. You guys mentioned playing golf on the off day in Seattle. Who all played? Who set it up? And where did you guys play? Sounds like a great time. That's from John.
2: Uh, we played at a uh, country club over on the east side uh, on the other side of uh, Lake Washington and Sammamish. It's called Sahali, uh, which is, I think, uh, Native American for heaven, uh, high heavenly ground, something like that, uh, Sahali Country Club. It's been host to uh, the PGA Championship and numerous other national amateur championships and, and LPGA, LPGA events, and uh, they were very gracious to allow eight of us in total to come out and play two foursomes uh our group m- me jonathan uh, jackson stevens and aj Minter. the other group was uh Coor, uh darren o'day austin riley and matt olson and matt olson so it was a it was a great crew nobody tore it up it's a tough course we had a good time And just because of my connections here in Seattle, I was able to uh, go through some other people here with the ball club that uh, contacted the country club and helped set that up. So much appreciated by all.
4: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. That was a good group. Here's a
3: comment uh, from Jason. He said, just wanted to say I appreciate you three being everyday players. The TV crew are like starting pitchers. They only work about once every fifth day. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jason. And then uh, here's a question from Ron. He said, is it weird to you guys that Marcelo Zuna was absent from the lineup for a few weeks and now he's seemingly playing every day again?
1: No, I don't think it's weird at all. I mean – when when the DUI happened, he wasn't playing all that well. And when there's a an incident like that, I don't think you're going to throw that guy on the field immediately. Um, I
3: think something else to consider too. Without Ronald playing uh, the outfield every day, you know you got to you got to put somebody out there. And, and Eddie's so, been cold. So. Yeah, and you know Marcel ha- has contributed since he's been back. Mm-hmm. And as Snit said, he's on the roster. He's going to play.
2: You know, we can also speculate. Uh, I can that. You know, maybe it was some punishment. He didn't play for maybe once in about a three-week span. Yeah. Was, there might have been some punishment involved there that we weren't aware of that wasn't made public. So uh, you can speculate about that, too, added to the fact that he wasn't playing well. Yeah, I agree. And,
1: and he's been playing a lot better here lately. So uh, it's been good to see.
2: I think your mic went south, Ben. Oh, did it? Yeah. So I'm going to read on here. Uh This is from Joshua Morgan. Hey, guys, love listening to the radio broadcast while I watch the video broadcast of the game. Am I back? Yep. All right. I'm a young fan who just recently started following the Braves last season during the playoffs. My question is, what important moments or games from Braves history, what are some, that every Braves fan should know and remember or at least acknowledge? Thanks, guys. Keep being awesome. Joshua Morgan. Historical moments for the Braves. What would you – What would you
1: Well, you, when you're talking about – at, at the top of the list, it's every World Series it's been won. Mm-hmm. So there are four of those. And for a lot of us, two of them took place in our lifetimes. And for some folks out there, maybe just the one for the younger generation of fans. Mm-hmm. Um, 14 straight division titles. Yeah, 14 straight division titles. Um, I, I think the moments that you had early 90s, Sid Slide and, and things like that, those Absolutely. are enormous. But um, – yeah, those would be some of the biggest moments. But I'd start with with your four championships, and you can you can really dive into those four individually, and go down, you know, dozens of wormholes, learning more and more about those teams. And I think you could do that about the '90s era altogether with yeah uh, everything that was accomplished.
2: Yeah, I think you need to know, uh, be well schooled on wh- how they won 14 straight, and who those pitchers were that all went in the Hall of Fame. You know, that's just such an unusual thing that on one team were three Hall of Famers in Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox and a ton of Cy Young awards. Uh, you need to know Bobby Cox. You need to know who he is, uh, how he became the manager for the Braves for a second time. He was general manager, uh, that that sort of stuff. And, um, and then just be well-schooled on chipper jones and hank aaron and especially hank aaron Mm -hmm. and what he meant to the ball club yeah
1: great question um hi ben joe and Jay, Chad. love your podcast and your calls i'm one of the fans who syncs up the radio to the tv i learn so much from you all each night i've been watching braves baseball for 20 years and i feel like i have a pretty good grasp on the game however One thing I still don't understand is which pitch is thrown in different situations. You guys will sometimes say he was probably looking fastball or was frozen by whatever. Can you guys shed some light on the mind of a pitcher and a batter and maybe share some common examples of pitch sequences and logic behind them? Uh, And that's from Morgan in my hometown, Madison, Mississippi. Uh, But you're right. I I think when it comes to um, some strikeouts, you will see a batter Go down looking, and you can tell that pitch that he just saw was the last thing he expected to see. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're looking fastball, you get a uh, a slider on a 3 2 count or a change up or something like that. The pitcher pitches backwards. It's just a, a batter might be really thinking he knows what's coming in that sequence, and he gets the opposite of that, and he's
2: basically stunned. And it's purely a guess, it's 100% based on how the guy got him out before, what the scouting report says this guy goes to uh, when he needs a strikeout or when he's in trouble. So you've got those statistics to maybe lean on, but you don't know. And because you don't know, uh, historically, hitters were always taught that when you get behind in the count and you have two strikes on you, you have no choice but to look to for a fastball. You don't want to get beat on a fastball. And then adjust to anything that's off speed. The other night, and I've said this before about Travis Darno, he's been taking a lot of called third strike fastballs, mm-hmm. and which tells you he's guessing or leaning towards something else, uh, and that's that's asking for trouble. If you are going to look for a breaking pitch or changeup when you're when you've got two strikes on you,
1: he was the perfect example last night. His first trip to the plate. He gets a, a, uh, a slider with two strikes, goes down looking. Locked him up, strike three. Comes back up there, the next go-round, he's got two strikes again. And he had to have been thinking maybe he's going to try that slider. Boom, fastball. And before you even know it, he's stunned, strike three. Then he goes up there the next time, hits a home run. Mm-hmm. So he, he had it figured out eventually. But that will happen sometimes, and that's what we're talking about when it comes to Maybe a a batter thinking he was going to get something else and being stunned by what he actually received.
2: You know, Think about uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. First pitch, first at bat, every game. He is up there looking to drive something out of the ballpark on the first pitch. And if you accommodate him and throw him a fastball, look out. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're asking for trouble. But Ronald is just thinking, you're going to try to get ahead at first pitch of the game. I'm going to be ready for it. Don't want to miss it.
3: Here's a question from Cody. He says, Hey guys, love the show and the broadcast, best in the business. I see players drinking some type of purplish-pink drink in the dugout sometimes, but it's from a regular water bottle. Do you know what the drink is? If not a brand name, then maybe the type of drink. Thanks, guys. So I can tell you uh, what I think it is. Sometimes when we get on the plane, we'll see these little packets um, of BioSteel. It's a hydration mix full of electrolytes. It's sugar-free. So it just adds some flavor. Uh... To the water and keeps these guys uh, extra hydrated.
2: Cool. Way to go, Jonathan. You know, you're like the science guy here. You know how to plug everything in. You know how to pack all that stuff, including the ROC Coca-Cola, and make <laughs> sure it doesn't get burst.
3: It's just I feel like that's all I do is just pack and unpack. Well, you're good at it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but he, you're like the science
1: guy, man. Yeah. And by the way, JC, this uh, – question comes from Kevin, and he wants to know the resolution of the story from St. Louis. Did you actually order garlic, and do you indeed like taste? I do
3: like taste. Okay. So just a little refresher. Joe was not with us on that trip. Nick Green was, and we went out one day to order um, what would you call it? Um, Stir fry. Stir fry. And we've been multiple times in St. Louis over the years instead of doing the press dining, and we, we walked up, and I guess Nick and I were the first two to go through the line, and Chip was with us, and Ben was with us, and the gentleman back there cooking said, would you, you know, they had the vegetables and the rice and the chicken, and he said, would you like garlic? And Nick and I just kind of looked at each other and didn't say anything, and he said, do you like taste? (laughs) Said
1: a a little slower, they went, do you like taste? (laughs) We said yes. We
3: put some garlic in there, and away we went. So, yes, Kevin, I do like taste.
2: (laughs) This is from uh, Josh Doak. How impactful has the culture Brian Snitker created in the clubhouse been to this team? They never get too high or low. I believe Snit does a fantastic job of keeping them focused on the next game, whether they're 10 out or leading the division. What's your opinion? Well, I think
1: the, the manager is really important for the culture of the team. Um, he's going to have a major impact on the team because no matter what style you have, no matter what kind of a guy you are, you, you get a, you're get you going to win or lose your team. And if you go in there and you start flipping tables and you're cussing everybody out and you're um, you know, very explosive like that, you're going to lose your ball club. And I don't think those guys in the room are really going to have a whole lot of respect for you and things like that. So I think every manager – It's exactly what he is. He has to manage. He has to manage multiple personalities and uh, multiple talents and things like that. And I think it is very impactful uh, for Brian Snitker or the other 29 managers because you're going to make an impact positively or negatively on your ball club.
2: I think you're right. Uh, I agree with all of those points. I also uh, know how influential Bobby Cox was on Brian and how Bobby managed. But it is a different day. And maybe Bobby's style wouldn't work today. Uh, I think Brian does a great job of of blending that. I'm not going to say that Brian is uh, softer than Bobby. I'm going to say he's not as tough as Bobby could be at times on players. But today's players don't react to that, just as you were pointing out. Uh, he has to massage that a little bit more than, than the, any old school manager used to have to do. And in that regard, Brian is excellent at it. Yeah, he is.
1: And uh, like you mentioned, a perfect blend of all those things. And when you're winning, as often as he's been winning, I mean, that's, that's the culture you're looking for more than anything. And uh, he's done a really good job with that. Uh, Ben, Joe, and J-Chad, could you guys explain why the Braves are members of the National League West back in the day? I was looking at the division winners by year and saw the Braves' 14-year run started in the National League West and wondered why. That's from Noah in Chattanooga.
2: That's a great question, and we'd probably have to go back to when they started divisional play in 69. Yeah, 69-70, yeah. And uh, I guess because there were so many more teams Uh, east of the Mississippi, then, that somebody had to go west. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was no Colorado. There was no Arizona. Houston was in the National League at that time. So Houston and the Braves, since they were in the south, went west. That's the only explanation I can give you. They weren't in the northeast, so they were a candidate for the west. Right. It's interesting, uh, based on that, how the schedule worked. Uh, Because Atlanta had to go to the West Coast three times, but you played San Diego, L.A., and the Giants Uh every trip. There wasn't a breakup somehow. And you would get that knocked out and come home typically. Right. And in the other division, there were other teams that were travel partners, I'll say. And one was um, St. Louis, Chicago, and Pittsburgh the times all the times that i got called up to the dodgers and i was like a yo-yo and we were in the west i never went on that road trip to chicago pittsburgh and st louis i never played in those three cities but i went to new york philadelphia and montreal a million times right they were all in the same travel group huh it's funny how they matched them all up yeah it is um and and It's
1: funny he asked that because when we were in Pittsburgh on the last road trip, I was looking at some of the division titles for the Pirates, and they haven't been in the National League East, I want to say, since 1993 or something like that. They have more NL East championships than the Mets or the Marlins. How about that? They haven't been in this division forever. (laughs)
3: That's a good one. Here's a question uh, from Brad down in Ashburn, Georgia. Uh, long-time listener here. I always appreciate the insight. I love that you guys tweet out highlights and interviews, and I appreciate the fact that Ben sends out a video on Instagram of each city's respective press box. My question is this. With so many position players seemingly locked up for much of the next decade, do you feel that that will play into how the Braves draft over the next several drafts? Or do you think that each draft is a separate entity in and of itself we all know what happens when you assume maybe they continue to take the best player available uh further scouting reports from Dana brown and his staff curious to hear your thoughts
1: i think they'll always be pitching heavy no matter what happens at the big league level because pitching me, is me so too. valuable me too I mean, that, that's that's the most valuable currency when it comes to trades and if you have you know a bunch of pitchers in your minor league system joe and you need to go make a big trade at the trade deadline you offer up a couple of pitchers. I mean, that's going to be more valuable than anything else you could offer another team.
2: No doubt, and um, it's even though you look at a big league club and you say, well, they just uh, locked up Harris for X number of years. They just uh, locked up other young guys for this number of years. Riley, for example, that doesn't necessarily mean they're they're stocked in that particular position in the minor leagues. They may be real thin at third base, for mm-hmm. example, in the minor leagues, and. Uh, see a guy that's available in the draft and, and want to kind of strengthen that position behind whoever's in the big leagues work and have somebody work their way up. So it, it, in that regard, it goes back to what the question was about, is it draft by draft and draft on need? There are some needs, but pitching comes first. I'll tell you what, uh, every single draft is so different
1: from the standpoint of the talent that is there. We've seen some drafts that have way more talent than the year prior. Uh, or some drafts that have way more pitching talent than any other position. Or hey, this is the year of the shortstops or something like that. We hear that. So each draft is, is very, very different given the talent that may or may not be there and how deep it is at some
2: positions. It's. I'd love to talk to Dana Brown about this in terms of a strategy or a philosophy. And that is sometimes it seems like unless there's just some guy uh, that will blow you away, maybe – a guy that's already had Tommy John, and he's a college pitcher, so you feel safer taking him in the first five picks of the draft, let's say. Yeah. First ten picks of the draft. More and more, it seems to me that there are more position players taken early because you feel like you're going to get some of your money's worth from these guys because they're not going to get hurt. Uh huh. They're going to be available for you to develop these guys along the way, whereas you could draft a, a pitcher – one, two, three, or four, and hurt his arm and not ever be the same guy again. Yeah, the risk is very high for young pitchers. It, it, speaking of asking Dana
1: about that, it'd be really interesting to to find out how they scout annually the talent in each draft mm-hmm. and, and how long they're watching players on their way up. You know, are you first finding guys when they're in seventh and eighth grade and tracking them, or is it more along the lines of last couple of years of high school? I'd love to have more information on that. That's pretty cool. We should do that. Oh, let's see. Hello, Ben, Joe, and J. Chad. You guys like to give away things for advertisers during the game, such as the Yanmar strikeout, the side inning. My question is, do the players know about those? Do they ever acknowledge if they give something away? Obviously, they have more important things to think about when playing. But afterwards, just a question that popped into my head while listening to the game. Uh, Also, I live in the Nationals market, so I'll watch MLB TV and always switch the audio to you guys. No offense. But I prefer the radio commentary. We appreciate that. That's from Josh, in Roanoke, Virginia. It's funny you say that because we had one particular giveaway where uh, Jesse was was on the mound. It
3: was in June in Philadelphia. Yeah, he
1: struck out the side, and we we told him after the game on the bus that him uh, striking out the side allowed this uh, contestant to win the Yanmar UTV. He said, "Oh, cool." <laughs> yeah,
2: it's it's not like they want to go into great detail and contact the person who won to. Uh, personalize it, but uh, they're happy that they can contribute. Yeah.
3: I showed Jesse a picture uh, on my phone of the Yanmar UTV that he helped give away that night, and he was pretty impressed with that, like most everyone else is. Yeah,
2: I would be too. I guess ours are in the mail, right? Sure. Contest is over, so that's sponsorship. Here's a question
3: from David. When you and the players, too, are on the road and have the chance to go out to eat, do people recognize you, come up to you, etc., or are you able to stay under the radar and enjoy your meal? If I saw you – I know I would be excited and want, would want to say hi and maybe get a picture, but I'd probably just settle for a quick nod and uh, tell you thank you for the great job that you do out of respect for your privacy. Keep up the good
2: work. Thanks, David. That's awfully kind of you. Uh, no, I – well, Ben does because he's single and the chicks dig single guys. Uh, and the long ball. but. Right. Uh, Other than that, no, we don't get a whole lot of attention. Uh, Jeff Francoeur does. Chip Carey does. Chip does. Chip's so tall and, you know, uh, identifiable with that head of hair and his eyebrows mostly. Mm -hmm. Chip and I got
1: stopped the other day uh, by some Braves fans who were here, and we met their son. And then, like I told you yesterday, I was walking out of the hotel. I was going to Jimmy John's to get something for, for lunch, and a Braves fan was right outside the hotel said he listened to us, wanted me to sign a ball, and said, you guys have me hooked on Louisiana hot sauce. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) awesome. You know, uh,
3: David, no one is coming to anywhere to meet me. But it's funny. Uh, It's happened one time we were in Boston this year. I think you guys may have already been on the bus, but we walked out of Fenway Park to get on a bus. Uh, I think it was the night we – getaway day. We were flying to Miami. And I walked out, and there was just a ton of fans out there behind barricades at the buses. And just from it made me laugh because some guy in the back just started, you know, yelling "Jay Chad," you know, whatever, <laughs> waving. So, but no, I mean, it, it happens for for these guys certainly. But
2: I really like this one from Lisa Crane. It's she says a happy thought for Joe Simpson. There is one good reason to be grateful for no longer being in the Bally T- TV booth. Can you imagine trying to sit there with dignity while wearing one of those sleazy, shiny, pastel sports jackets? I sure wouldn't want that for you. My friend Sloan says she thinks it's because the Bally wardrobe guy must be the same one who does the burlesque shows in Las Vegas. Oh. Okay, I'm done. Love you. Mean it. Lisa Crane. Well, I got news for you, Lisa Bally doesn't pick their sport coats those guys picked their own sport coats <laughs> and they just give them polos, don't they? yeah that they the polos come from the ballet crew I mean from the company. but if you think I need one good reason to be grateful for no for longer being over there, you're kidding yourself. I don't need any good reasons <laughs> I got enough yeah
1: Well, we're out of time unfortunately. I got to interview Snit in five minutes. We can talk about this ball game tonight, but um, always uh, fun to get together, and do another episode. It had been a while since we'd been in the same place at the same time—the three of us—and able to record one. But we'll obviously have more coming as we. Well, I've been, been here. Can, well, you've been here. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man. Part timers, joined myself—you know I needed a break here and there to get away from the Iron Man. Uh, but we'll be back with you pretty soon and uh, looking forward to it. You can always email us bravesbooth at gmail.com. That'll wrap things up for us. hope that you'll tune in tonight. Braves and the Mariners in the second game of this series. Till then, for Joe and for J-Chad, I'm Ben, and you've been inside the Braves booth.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it.